0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of What Next? Today we have a very special guest, Bobby Duffy, who is the Professor of Public Policy and Director of the Policy Institute of King's College London. And he's going to challenge us today about our collective assumptions about generations and how his new work can influence the work we do for our clients. Welcome, Bobby. Great to be here. So, Bobby, whenever we begin... We ask our guests to leave us with three key takeaways. Could you give us those three key takeaways?
1: Yeah, great. So I think, I mean, the first one for me is that generational thinking is a really big idea that's been terribly corrupted by horrible stereotypes and cliches that the marketing and indus, uh, advertising insight industries are at least partly responsible for. Um, and we can tell how badly wrong we've gone when you see work that treats millennials as a market segment, this huge proportion of the population as one market market segment. That's my kind of first point. The second one is that despite that, despite that terrible corruption of this great idea, understanding generations is vital to predicting change. In fact, I would argue that we can't understand the future without knowing what is truly generational, what is truly different between generations. And then the third point is, is about how that's applied in particular issues. And uh, my takeaway is that we're thinking about climate concern, social purpose and culture wars, all these big debates right now, all wrong. These aren't driven by particularly different cohorts of young people coming through right now. They are instead a period effect driven by the particular context that we're in right now.
0: So in some understanding generations is important. Some of the things we attribute to generations aren't really generational, but we have got generations wrong. Why do you say that and tell us a little bit about your research?
1: Yeah, so this is something I've been looking at for nearly 20 years and it it was it was based on uh, really detailed analysis of very large scale surveys that look at what is really different between different generations, and it's resulted in some real insights about society and how we're changing. You know, a lot of the of great works like Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone in the U.S. and lots of lots of other detailed analyses uh, around different countries show how important understanding generations is. And then there was this real contrast in looking around at what's in the media, in the news media and social media, about generations and all these terrible, terrible cliches about millennials killing this or that. So uh, Jen said being this or that type of generation, the most materialistic ever, or the wellness generation, or all these cliches, or baby boomers having ruined the planet, stolen the future, or, or even a generation of sociopaths. And there's this incredible mismatch between a powerful idea that can really tell us about ourselves and how society is changing, and then this these uh, horrible clichés and stereotypes. So that made me want to unpick this more. And over a series of studies and then culminating in the book, I've been pulling together evidence from countries around the world using more reliable sources to try to effectively unpick three things, which is what's truly different between different cohorts of people, cohort effects, as it's called, what is just a feature of being a particular age, whether you're young or old or a particular life stage, so life cycles effects, as it's called, and what's a period effect, as in what's going on currently or what has happened that has changed everyone, not just particular cohorts or age groups. And effectively, that age period cohort split is the key to understanding what is really generational or not. And a massively stark contrast between trying to understand that level of change and the headlines that you get and poor pieces of research that you get that basically try to sum up whole cohorts of people in one or two words.
0: What is the implication of this on the world of marketing and advertising that we may not be getting it correct?
1: Yeah, I think the danger is that uh, at a kind of very direct level, that we're basing insight on things that aren't true, that aren't real, that are ephemeral or or just uh, created in many different ways. And I think that's so making the wrong decisions based on the wrong data or wrong interpretation of that data. And that's you know that's a direct risk. I think there are broader risks from that in fueling stereotypes and myths about generational separation or generational conflict that have an effect, a broader effect on society. It may seem strange that, you know, small pieces of research here and there that that create some headlines that people probably don't take that seriously about millennials killing this or that industry, uh, those types of things. But it all adds to this weight of a fake difference between generations which can creates the conditions for a broader challenge to connection across generations for society overall so I think there are direct effects about are we interpreting what's happening correctly or not and are we uh, wasting our time and resources on definitions that are not real which is yeah an issue when you're trying to have an, an impact for your clients. Uh, and then I, I do think it is part of this issue of uh, uh, stereotyping and cliches that create an environment where division is more likely to happen than connection between
0: generations. So we try to create differences where there are no differences, and often we don't understand differences where there are differences.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. So the, the book spends a lot of time separating myth and reality, and there are real generational differences that get lost in this mess so there's lots of myths around and you can pick it in any area of life or consumption whether you know whether it claims that loneliness is there's a loneliness epidemic among the old when actually tends to be young people who are more likely to say they feel lonely and that's been the case throughout all the time that we could measure this, that there's a suicide epidemic among the young where there's no evidence of that. In fact, suicide rates are on the decline among the young in lots of different countries. Completely different relationships with alcohol that are very generational. So there are some real realities within this that you have very different relationships with regular drinking of alcohol between older generations who are much more likely to have that behavior compared to younger generations. And they're staying at that sort of level As they age, that's a true cohort effect. And then important life cycle effects like um, happiness levels and how they change over the life cycle and the classic model of a U-shaped curve of happiness that dips in midlife where midlife is more miserable um, but not as miserable as it's often made out in the headlines. There's all these really rich stories that are both general social trends and uh, political trends, but also very specific market and segment trends that can be unpicked from these types of data that get lost in this mess of short-term, age-based uh, claims that are, are not well evidenced.
0: What would be the three broadest and biggest myths we should not pay too much attention to and three insights from your research that we should?
1: Yeah, so let's start with it. If we start with the myths, the biggest one that i am trying to debunk is that climate concern doesn't exist among older generations or or more broadly social purpose isn't important among older generations there is a real focus on this that uh, climate concern is a generational battle when Greta Thunberg was made Times Person of the Year in 2019. They called her an avatar in a generational battle. And that creeps into all sorts of discussion about climate concern. When when you actually look at the data, there is nothing like the gaps between young and old in climate concern. And then more importantly, on climate action or social purpose action, than you would think from that type of rhetoric. And that is really important that's vitally important that we don't misread that because you can see that as a a real source of generational division if we think that older people don't care it uh, creates that sense of tension between young and old and most importantly we're dismissing a huge swathe of the population that are growing demographically older people around the world in in all countries and that are also getting richer and getting wealthier Relative to the, the rest of the population. So, we are, uh, this unthinking ageism in some of those climate campaigning and discussions is a real issue for people trying to achieve those types of goals. So, that's, that's probably the biggest myth that, that I would be trying to uh, debunk. And a second one related to that is that we have a, a particularly social justice warrior generation coming through right now, who are completely focused on social progress and social justice issues, a snowflake generation, which is, again, not true. When you look at the data, the the truth is that there's always gaps between young and old in their comfort with cultural change or social change. And that is a constant throughout all of the data that, that I can go back decades and look through. And the gap between young and old on things like race, sexuality, uh, gender equality, gender identity, those types of things. There is a big gap where the young, younger generations are more comfortable with change and more forward-looking or uh, progressive in their, in their outlook. But that's always been the case. Uh, and the gap between young and old today is no different from young and old in the past. So what we've got going on really isn't a particular feature of this cohort of young people. It is much more a feature of the current information environment that we're in and political environment we're in, where we're in a more fractious time and have a social media and a media environment which accentuates extreme views and rewards that through clicks or attention. So, again, the culture wars, which the U.S., very much focused on the US, but increasingly in the UK and Europe, and coming up in our international studies in, in more and more countries around the world, is presented as a generational battle as well. And it's really not. It's partly, it's just that's the nature of young and old social values as it, as as they develop It's a constant feature. And what's really changed is our environment. So I mean, I take those as two very important ones, and, and important for The advertising industry, the insight industries, more generally, about how we understand where the where the demand for social purpose has has come from and where it's going next. I'll just uh, I'll do a couple of truths in generational differences as well. Uh, There is real differences in things like some elements of healthy behaviours, things like smoking and alcohol drinking, very, very different relationships with them, with those types of activities among younger cohorts. And it's As I said, that, that alcohol drinking is incredibly generational, where it's a flat over time, you get socialized into a particular level of comfort with very regular alcohol drinking, and that kind of sticks with you through life. Smoking's really interesting too, because it's uh, a lot of the investments that we've made in reducing smoking levels have really been about creating a different generational relationship with smoking where it's uh, much less part of the background noise much less part of the culture where you don't really see smoking advertising tobacco advertising or tobacco branding connected to particular products or, or other activities like sports and What you can see when you look at the generational lines is that has ended up with a generational break for Gen Z. They really have no memory of a time where that type of connection to those types of brands was made. And it's a real massive step down compared to gradual declines in smoking among millennials, gradual declines in smoking among Gen X. So we've managed to make a generational break in those types of activities by having a focus on actually let's change the environment. So. When young people are socialized, they're not really picking up those types of habits. So there's a couple on the myth and reality side for you. I
0: think... That clearly impacts the way we think about generations when it comes down to marketing. Because clearly, if we're trying to get people's mindsets or get into understanding how people think, but they are wrong, we can get our marketing very wrong. And I think these general senses of everything from climate change to polarization to social and putting people into neat little buckets tends, you know, not to work too well. What today worries you most about the world, given all your research, and what makes you most optimistic? Oh, great
1: question. I mean, I, it is a lot of the work that we've been doing right now is on, is on polarization and culture wars around the world and how that polarization has seemed to be increasing. And I think the Generations book kind of brings some of that together in both an optimistic and a warning sense. So one of the main conclusions of the book is we're not, despite all the rhetoric teetering on the brink of a generational war or a polarised war more, more generally, that the strength of connections between generations is up and down generations is stronger than the three families, is stronger than the forces that are pulling us apart. But we are increasingly separated into uh, by generations and then by other identity groups and tribes. So we've got this greater separation where we're, we're in a particular group and we form a strong identity with that group and denigrate the other side. So this greater sense of identity-driven politics reflected in generations sometimes but across broader issues and we've got this identity driven emotional connection point that makes us not so far apart on many of the issues but very far apart in how we identify with our side and don't like the other side so that's the kind of risk point that I see is that growth in identity politics broader than populism broader than generational division, but that, that sense of uh, identity-driven divisions, because that's quite hard to get over once you get into those types of things. So that's the kind of, that's the warning, I think, is, and generations are a key part of that. But then the optimistic point is the generational book has made me look at very long-term trends as far back as we can look on lots of different issues. And, and what you see from that is resilience in our societies, democracies, around the world in and economic and political systems that we go through very rough patches where things look very bad and people are talking about the system being under threat and political or economic systems being under threat and then within a few years or a decade things look better again and you can see that in satisfaction with democracy can see that in satisfaction with life more generally in lots of different countries and and for me that that means two things i think is first that we should not allow ourselves to be pulled into a sense of inevitable decline and that these we're on a downward slide and there is nothing we can do about it that is you see a lot of talk about a loss of faith in democracy and that this is coming. And in the generational literature, you see a lot of work by people like Strauss and Howe in the US that say we're coming towards an inevitable crisis, that Steve Bannon really liked those, that type of analysis of we're moving towards an inevitable crisis. So the hope bit is that actually we still have a lot of agency and capability of affecting these trends and that's not just hopefulness in the sense of let's just hope we do that. It's looking at the evidence about how we've been in similar bad positions in the past or even worse and then come out of them. So what we do the decisions we make and how we approach things really does matter. We're not on an inevitable path and we can see how we've changed things in the past.
0: What I'd love to know is if you would to basically come in to our company and say here are some myths that the advertising industry is perpetuating broadly, what would those be?
1: Yes, well, I do think, I mean, I think the climate concerned one, I think I was noticing I've been noticing more adverts as we as been doing the book and looking at the analysis. And you can definitely see how there's a whole series of campaigns in the UK and elsewhere that basically put just young people, children, mostly at the at the center of climate campaigning, where it's lots of there's a series of these in the UK and globally right now, which are basically school children and others talking about climate concern and no older voices in that discussion at all and i think that's worrying i think that view of increasing that sense of it's all about young people and older people don't have a role in this apart from as a kind of guilty onlooker is is a worry and isn't a good a good message isn't if if we really want to make a difference on climate the last thing we want to do is divide the population because we need everyone to be in, in implicated and feel like they can take action and have an effect, and and that, that division is is a pretty bad thing to do, I think. For dismissing huge swathes of the population, and equally lionizing a coming generation of young people puts a lot of pressure on them. When the data shows my data shows they're not that different in both how they think and how they act on climate in many different. Um, ways. I think that is is an issue. I think from pure generational point of view, it's surprising how many pieces of research and news that you see from very big, sophisticated brands that do talk about millennials or Gen Z as a segment, like uh, as if they are targeting millennials and Gen Z as the particular market for this product. And you know, those examples abound in that. And that's, again, very worrying from the point of view of these are vast ways of the population, a quarter or a quarter of the population in the bigger, bigger cohorts case, and hugely diverse within them. I think the value of generations is in trying to claim that everything is generational. That is not the job of generational. Analysis it is to sort out what is and what isn't, and what is due to life cycle effects, what's due to period effects, and what is truly a cohort effect. That is that is the job of this, and understanding that is uh, vitally important. Not to trip into those cliches and myths that then give you no precision in what it is that you who it is you're trying to appeal to, and then that in turn has no leverage over purchasing decisions. Or loyalty, or whatever it is you're trying to affect. So I would, I would pick out those types of things, the big picture ones about uh, how we understand social purpose and where that's being driven from, and how we use this type of information in our segmentations and targeting and, how, and uh, inspiration for particular brands. And the risk is the real risk right now is generational thinking has become so devalued and cliched that you throw it all out because uh, it, it leads to these sorts of really bad types of applications of it, which I think is a mistake. Uh, there's lots of academics actually calling for us not to use these types of divisions at all anymore, but I think that's a mistake because it, it, it can still tell you something really important about how we, who we are now and how we're changing. It's just we have to do it in a more sophisticated, evidence-driven way.
0: Indeed, why do either marketers or policy people play on these generational things? Is there a reason that they know they are taking advantage, or they're trying to get votes, or they're trying to classify people?
1: A really good question. Is that? No, I think there are myriad um, motivations for different different groups using these. Simplistic generational approaches, lots and lots of different um, motivations for it. But I think I, a core one is that it does actually sell in terms of clicks or people reading it. Even if we know they're not true, people like these stories and they will look at them. It's one of the reasons why I think we shouldn't completely try to ignore or bin. These types of gener- social generation classifications is that they will continue because people like these stories. It tells us something about who we are and who we're not and who other people are that people find uh, compelling and they will uh, look at. Them. And then I think there are all sorts of other motivations, which in, in politics, there is an increasing age based split in. Uh, how which parties people vote for around lots of different countries around the world, the UK, the US, but many other countries too. And that is quite a dangerous thing to segregate people on. Age is a dangerous demographic to segregate people on because it ends in this logic of when you're putting culture change at the heart of politics, which is inevitable when you start to split people on age, because the young are more comfortable with cultural change than the old. what you end up having is one side who think they are appealing to the coming generation. so they have de- demography on their side and they face it they're faced with a coalition of the ascendant where you know the demography is moving in their direction so they need to just keep going or even go more to the extreme of progressive views because keep chasing keep chasing the emergent generation, whereas the other side also think that they have demography against them and that their voter base is shrinking. So they get more extreme in appealing to their base and demonizing the other side, younger people. So you get this terrible dynamic, which we're seeing repeated across different countries, of one side portraying the other side as more extreme, than they actually are on age-based things. And it, so the motivations there are to actually, as part of the, part of the political tactics is how you portray generations as woke or culture warriors on one side or selfish baby boomers who don't care, those types of things, become part of political campaigning. And that's dangerous. That is dangerous.
0: A lot of the world of change in part seems to be driven by the world of media. And clearly media has morphed and mutated a lot over the last five to ten years. What are the ones that are probably driving both some of this polarization or some of this? Is it social media? Is it mobile? Is it everything? It is. It's the broad information
1: environment because you know that one feeds off the other in an interconnected system. Now, it's not easy to separate out these, uh, you know, traditional legacy media from social media, from particular aspects of social media because it's, it's so they're so intermediated now. The one flowing from one into the other. So, I think we do an awful lot of work on misperceptions and how people misperceive social realities which was the subject of my first book but then you know during covid and in lots of other subject areas as part of a work at king's we're doing much more on the information environment and how that sets the tone or leads people in particular directions and what you see is it's like a it's a complex web where you have different levels of effects from different types of media but they they work together And you you can see, you know, it definitely the case that the greatest sources of misinformation or disinformation that lead people into conspiracy thinking and then perhaps other even more radicalized views have a particular set of gateways that people go through, but they start with the more general media discussion. So I don't I don't think you can you can definitely point to particular aspects or elements of media and social media that take people further but you've got to think of it as a system as a whole what's how healthy is overall information environment and very difficult to, dis, uh, to untangle and and probably probably shouldn't we should be looking at the whole because one leads to the other
0: what are some of the watch outs on either the way we think or some broad advice so we can continue to think clearly versus being sometimes put into these memes or whatever So this sounds, it's
1: um, a very simple tip or trick that I always think about when I look at any type of change or any type of finding about society or consumers or markets generally, which is effectively just to ask yourself, is this to do with people's age? Is it to do with when they were born? Or is it to do with what's happening right now? So it's effectively taking what is like a, a statistical model called age period cohort effects and just think using that more as a mindset to understand change. And that's I found that seems quite geeky, seems quite technical, but it's really, really simple. And in the book, I, I don't use any stats. I just use simple line charts that track people by their generation when they were born, not their current age. And you can see graphically whether this is Something that changes as we get old, like our weight. So there's a sort of iron rule that as a cohort ages, they get less likely to be a healthy weight. We just get fatter as we get older and it's very difficult to avoid that. You can see period effects, so these situational effects where everything changes like a pandemic or a war or economic crisis when everyone is affected. You can just see the lines suddenly change direction for people. And then you can see these cohort effects where a group of people born around the same time are socialized into a particular attitude or behavior and they keep that with them. So our attitude to religion in most countries is related to our our year of birth, not in all countries but across lots and lots of countries, particularly Western countries, Uh, or our relationship with alcohol or all sorts of things that stay very... Generational. And just thinking that is incredibly powerful in terms of sorting out the myths from the reality where you see a claim. Just asking whether this is to do with this claim about young people now. Is that just a factor of their age and they're going to change as they get older? Or is it something truly different? Or is it something that's happening right now that's affecting all of us? And just having that little separation of those just those three effects basically every change in society is explained by one of those three effects and if you can work out which one it is you have a much better idea of what the future holds
0: So Bobby, one additional question, which has something to do with generations and coming back to the office. It appears at least from reading that younger generations or younger people are more open to work remotely, while it appears especially among older people and bosses, they would like people to come back to office. What is your take on this, given your understanding of generations? Yeah, it's a really good,
1: really good question i think the the context to this is that workplace based generational research is some of the worst examples of generation stereotypes and cliches out there there's so many bad claims about how different gen z are to millennials to gen x and through to baby boomers in what they're looking for in work or how they behave at work it's uh, cliche after cliche of people creating difference in order to get some interest in the subject matter but also to help create problems that they can then solve through consulting or advice or training for people and it's a real shame because it is what the academic research shows is that basically it boils down to hardly any differences between generations between individual cohorts and what they're looking for from work obviously you have a slightly different priority set when you're young and at the beginning of your career to when you're in the middle or when you're towards the end but that's pretty constant over time your needs change as as you move through your life cycle it's not a generational cohort um, effect and that kind of sets the tone for the COVID response and in particular our relationship with the office and And it is true, greater comfort with technology is true among younger cohorts because they have grown up with that. But what we find in the research internationally as well as within the UK is that actually there isn't a clear division between young and old in how eager or comfortable they are to get back to the office. We did a segmentation that split people into three groups, people who are keen to get back, people who are concerned about the health effects or other impacts and people who are comfortable where they are and actually quite like this new way. And the really interesting part of that segmentation was there was virtually no relationship with demographics, most demographics, including age. There wasn't a real age gradient in predicting whether you're in any one of those three groups, the keen, the concerned or the comfortable or content at home. And that's really, really important for employers um, to understand is that they can't predict very easily how people are going to be feeling about coming back to the office just based on their demographics or cliches or presumptions about their age. Um, And it it creates a challenge for bosses because it's not easy to segment your working population into particular types of groups on those basic characteristics that you know about. You need really careful work to understand where people are what would give them greater comfort and how to alleviate their concerns on the one hand for one segment of that. And then for the other group, it's much more about the balance of incentives, about what's the benefit of coming into the office compared to continuing to work at home. So there's there's detailed particular work that you need to do without making big sweeping views about young and old. That is true. Bosses tend to be older, bosses have more incentive to want to get people back for all sorts of different reasons and motivations. But among the workforce as a whole, that's not played out in the research that we've done. So it's a really useful warning about how something that isn't age-based, isn't generational based, but actually needs careful understanding of different segments to make sure that we get the incentives and actions right for different groups to get the best outcome for all?
0: We've had the opportunity to listen to Bobby Duffy. Bobby has explained to us the importance of both generations, but also how we often get generational thinking and generational divides completely wrong. He's reminded us that we should think and interrogate versus simplifying or dumbing down. And whether it is climate change, health, polarization, or even coming back to the office, we should really investigate and interrogate what we read and what we hear. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Richard. That was great. What Next, a publicist group podcast produced by Prodigious UK.